Hi, everyone. It's John here at the editing desk. After our last show, we received the following message from a photographer in Ukraine. Hi, Alex. I'm from Ukraine. I've been listening to the CCR podcast for two years. Since February 24th, I have not taken a single shot, not developed a single film, not made a single print. Thank you for supporting my country. It's very important for us in these terrible times. I hope that peace will come and I can return to my favorite hobby. Glory to Ukraine. Hey, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. We got an episode for you uh, to listen to today. It is a bit of an East Coast, West Coast NAFTA get together. Wait for it. Roll the theme music. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. Uh, so today we got Jess Hobbs, James Lee from the Classic Camera Revival. John Meadows will be joining us shortly. Um, and of course, we've got a returning guest, Bill Manning from Studio C41. And for the first time, a triumvirate uh, from the West Coast, Andre Dominguez from Negative Positives, and since still the you know the day job that pays the bills, and of course we got Gabe Sachs and Jeffrey Greenstein from I Dream of Cameras. So welcome we to the here. show, guys. Thank you Thank for having you. me. Thank you for having me. It's Jeff Greenstein. That's fine. Right. That's the last time I'm going to say. Greenstein. <laughs> Don't make me warn you again. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, I, I'm blessed with an idiot-proof name. <laughs> that said i have met the one idiot who screwed it up <laughs> yeah he somebody spelled it with a y and i you know not an irish spelling it's a scottish spelling don't you forget right. it mm. so how is everyone doing today um so gabe jeff it's your first time on the classic camera revival same as andre like you guys this is so uh Again, all our listeners probably, you know, listen to more than one, but Gabe and Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Gabe and I are both uh, screenwriters and producers in Los Angeles, California. Gabe has a storied career which spans both television and film. I have a slightly less storied career which spans both television and television. And we have been hobbyists in uh, film photography for blah, 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 years. And uh, about a year and a half ago, decided to launch the I Dream of Cameras podcast under the rubric of Sunny 16. And for some reason, they're still letting us do it. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> You have blackmail on them, don't you? I, I wish that Probably. were the case. Yeah. I, yeah. So again, also our other guest from the West Coast, Andre Dominguez. Um, you're the co-host, the co-captain of the class, uh, Negative Positives uh, podcast, and also you are, one, I guess, the the man behind the scenes at Cinestill. Uh, so, quick brief intro for those oh. who have not heard Negative Positives. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
I'm the customer solutions manager at Cinestill Inc., which is technically the the official name. I know that a lot of our iconography says Cinestill Film, but we do more than just that. So I like to like to push the ink. Plus, I've always wanted to work for a company that has ink in the name. Um, but uh, yeah, in charge of all uh, B2C customer service and head up any educational uh, endeavors between you know, online help center stuff, uh, now YouTube, and uh, just general analog photography enthusiast going on seven years now. I've been the uh, sometimes absent, uh, sometimes a little sleepy co-captain of the SS Negative Positives, uh, which is, you know, my, my, my podcasting home. Very, very thankful to have been invited onto this. Uh, what was uh, advertised to me to be a uh, topicless alcohol themed recording amongst uh, many, many members of the, uh, the the film photography podcasting NAFTA elite. So yeah, again, there will probably be a sum out there going, but why didn't you invite us? It's like, <laughs> well, it's going to have so many. We're very excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we, we wanted to make Have it your a own drunken show, show, not like, this a, is our oh my God, show. it's a dumpster so, fire yeah. in the middle of a <laughs> flood, like that, <laughs> like that meme. So, uh, also our returning guest, Bill, how are things down in Georgia? Uh, great, as long as I can get my microphone working, right? You know, <laughs> so. Well, uh, me sleeping on guests, I'm professional. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh my gosh, guys! You guys uh, <laughs> doing well? Doing well. Um, it has been uh, a hot minute since I've been doing some podcasting, but um, I am doing a lot of pre-production right now, uh, lining up some uh, big guests and everything along those lines. So I did take us literally spent about six months off uh, from recording in general. So it's uh, <laughs> it's nice to get back into the groove of things. Um, and uh, first uh, recording will be in April. So, right on. so actually, I take that back. I take that back. It will be in March next week with uh, somebody very special. I won't. I won't uh, spoil it. So, but uh, we'll start recording very, very soon. And uh, uh, but I've been playing around with TikTok and Reels and all that stuff, which has been fun. So I, I'll admit it has been very, uh, very fun. Kind of just thinking creatively uh, outside of that that realm. So. Oh, cool. So, um, so out of curiosity, again, I'm sort of leading the conversation here. Feel free to meander off. Uh, we will talk about Tom Brady later on. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's excited like a giddy little schoolboy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, out of curiosity, what have everyone been shooting with lately? And have you been sort of embracing a certain film stock? Uh, and just been running with it for the past little while. I have somehow been shooting a ton of expired film mm. because, and, and from all kinds, sometimes I'll just pick it up, look at the speed and just go shoot with it. Mm. And I find out um, instead of worrying about it, which is what I used to do, I would pick up a roll of expired film and just go, okay, I have to overexpose it. And okay. Every 10 years. And like, I would just go through this whole thing and now um you just say screw it <laughs> i just say screw it i mean if i shoot uh if i'm doing a shoot i'll usually shoot some portrait 400 mm -hmm. and then if i'm using 
a point and shoot with a flash. I'll just grab some whatever expired film that I have, which I have some Fuji 160S from probably 15 years ago. Oh, I miss that film stock. It works great. I just, I just love the colors it produces. So, well, it's funny because I've got a rule of original, not the rebadged stuff that's currently on the market, but original Uh Agfa APX 100. Oh, wow. And it's like, uh, my friend had a bulk roll of it. He test shot it at box speed. It's fine. It just cups like crazy, which is our curse in the Great Lakes basin. (laughs) Anything like Kodak Triax, it cops. Same thing Mm -hmm. with old Agfa films, it cops. And it's like, leave it under a heavy coffee table book for a a week or two or three. It's a little flat. (laughs) Wow. But still, it's like uh, I I just have to dig up a developing time for it. I'm just going to shoot it in the next few weeks. Uh, it's thankfully gotten a lot lighter in the past little while up here. So you can use 100 speed films for a change. Right. So what have you been, uh, you've been shooting a lot, Bill? Or um... Yeah, um, I have not been having any issues with my Tri-X 320 uh, curling up because it's already in sheet form. <laughs> uh, so I've been shooting a lot of a four by five lately, um, primarily for a project for just documenting my my local town mm. and um, and I shared a couple images trying to figure out um, you know hey this building like is starting to fall in on itself. Anybody know about the history of this building? And then mm. you know we got a local town Facebook group and like it's blown up and people are now like, where, where are you doing a photo book with this? I'm like, I guess my timetable in the photo book is now getting moved up because uh, mm. this was going to be a long term project. And now people are <sighs> wanting prints and, and, and a book. So um, it has been very uh, uh, interesting to see kind of how that process is unfolding. So, um, so yeah, Tri-X 320 has been the go-to uh, found some uh, Fuji, uh, uh, Pro 160 NS in mm. 4x5 that was expired in 2012, uh, but it has been cold stored oh, wow. and uh, it was in Japan. Okay. And yeah, I got it for 60 bucks uh, for two packs. Or sorry, sorry, uh, two, 60 bucks each. So it was 120 bucks for the two boxes. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm willing to uh, take a shot at it and uh, sh- shot one sheet. And I was like, this is like, perfect oh that's awesome sweet so one's in the freezer one's getting used right now so um so hopefully maybe there's other fuji films in picking around somewhere yeah hopefully in a deep freeze somewhere right so what have you been up to jess uh mostly actually working on my door goodman stuff um they just released uh some new straps uh, very, very exciting, really nice looking straps too. Um, but other than that, uh, I haven't been shooting a whole lot except that I have my Topcon RE Super here loaded oh, with some, yeah, loaded with some, uh, Kentmere 400. That's my frugal film, uh, set up for, for this year. Um, <coughs> I've also got my little Olympus 35 RC loaded up with oh, Lomo nice. 800. And then, because it's winter in Canada, can you tell? I've got my OM1 with some Kodak P3200. <laughs> so I got oh, all nice. my bases covered. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, I'm working through a few of those roles and I'm just getting really amped up for spring to come. Um, I can't wait to get back out into the woods with my trusty Mamiya RB67, uh, bring out my Goodman Zone. Who knows? Maybe pick up a four by five along the way or some other stuff. We'll see. Question. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's got that my name on it. waiting for you, Jeff. <laughs> Are you looking to rehome that Sinner, uh, James? Uh, well, you know what? I'm using it, using it right now to hold up the uh, shooting cloth, so I probably should. <laughs> ah. So what have you been up to, James? Well, uh, like most Canadians, I've been hiding from the shitty weather um, and, uh, you know, ignoring what's on the news and curled up in the fetal position, you know, drinking alcohol. But when I'm not doing that... <laughs> um, uh, I'm just crying. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm anxiously awaiting spring to get back and doing more shooting. I'm in the midst of uh, a little experiment with uh, with Paul and Reinhold right now. So I'm just trying to uh, experiment with it from uh, uh, EI uh, 320 up to 1600 uh, with a couple different developers just to, you know, feel it out, see, uh, see what uh, I can get out of it and see how the film behaves. Just more of a personal little pet project. Um, but yeah, and hoping that they will, you know, uh, put that out in 120 sometime. You would think that a company that decides, you know, it was built on the, uh, on the TLR uh, would put out a hundred uh, anniversary film in 120 format, but uh, alas, that would make far too much sense. But uh, yeah, other than that, waiting for the snow to melt. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be later this week. <laughs> It'll be gone. So what's up with you, Andre, other than uh, dealing with customer queries and concerns? <laughs> well, uh, as part of that, you know, uh, when, when when things get to the point where it becomes a little bit too much for little old me, uh, I, I, you know, reach out to Sinistil Top Brass and I say, y'all, I need some backup. So uh, a few weeks ago, I hired uh, two new customer service agents, uh, one full-time, one part-time. So it's been all hands on deck in terms of getting them up to speed, kind of uh, running them through the gauntlet of all the chemical processes that we offer and the film stocks that we we produce. Um, so it's been a good mix of, you know, sit down, like, you know, side-by-side -side instruction on our customer service platform. But I've been trying to at least have one fun actual like photo taking or film processing experience per day in order to mm. not scare away these two new brand new employees. Oh, good. Uh, so we've, we've, we've done everything from, uh, you know, traditional two-step black and white developing to black and white monobath developing with the DF-96 Color negative, bleach bypass, a uh, little bit of red rum in there. So some red scale experiments and then a few different flavors of CS6 family slide processing. So trying to keep things bright and fun and fresh for them, um, which has also been fun because prior to that, I hadn't really been shooting a whole lot. So it's been a great um, source of, of uh, forced inspiration on my end in that I'm trying to make sure that we we get them up to speed so that they can answer, you know, customer questions semi-autonomously as quickly as possible. Um, but it's been a lot of fun and we are gearing up for 
uh, a very exciting uh, product release in the not too distant future. So they've also been nice. getting a oh, chance to sweet. to help out with some of that. Um, we've been doing filming a lot of like promo videos and things like that. So should be should be pretty fun. And apparently, I'll be making a cameo in one of those videos. Uh, usually, oh. you know, oh. I'm I'm not typically one to be asked to be in front of the camera. So oh, no. keep an eye out. Goes. Whole career change. Keep an eye uh, out for a small, small, small like five second cameo. So are are you going to become like Sinistil's Troy McClure? I don't know who that is. You may have seen me in the following product videos. Oh, yeah. Andre, you just let us know when you need us to be a, you know, a mystery, uh, mystery customer for that um, poor victim. I mean, uh, new uh, customer service rep. Uh, And uh, we'll make sure that they know what they're talking Mm -hmm. about. Or want to quit in about three seconds. I did add add CCR to... A, a press list for for whenever you know that info does go out so y'all are gonna hear uh you know among you you'll be among the first to know the 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 big news. exciting all right right on <laughs> jeff. meanwhile jeff is kind of like Sitting there going, what, 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 yeah, what about what, us? I didn't say that oh, you guys weren't on the list, Jeff. Okay, all right, I'm just checking. <laughs> So Andre's cameo is going to consist of him. It's like scary. it's going to be like the Stan Lee, but it's just him in a corner, just sleeping. <laughs> no, I, I had I had to dress up. <laughs> no, I had to dress up. I mean, they they were just like, "Hey, you know, can you wear something nice to work?" And I was like, "Um, why?" <laughs> they were like, right. "You're going to be on camera." I was like, "All right, okay, I guess that's how it's going to go." Well, as long as you wear something to work, that's half the battle. Yes. Yeah. So I guess it's like a sin still golf shirt of some kind. Uh, you're just gonna have to wait and see. It'll be it'll be pretty exciting. Uh, it's gonna be Andre in button down and button downs and khakis for sure. Yeah, Kodak Kodak's Kodak product manager, circa 1992. <laughs> oh, but in the sin still colors. <laughs> This is completely unrelated, but speaking about yeah. uh, new hires, new positions, or whatever, um, I don't, I, I can't quite remember her name, but I heard through the grapevine, and I think it's it's public information. But uh, you know, very, very, uh, you know, dear colleague in the industry, uh, Mike Bain, uh, retired recently from the uh, Ilford Photo Harmon Technologies big umbrella. And uh, there is a new North American uh, sales rep for for Ilford. So oh, I wow. personally, I'm going to be putting this out into 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 the universe and manifesting it or whatever the hell the kids say these days. Um, in that, I would love to, you know, hopefully work with Ilford uh, in the not too distant future to do some kind of series of educational uh, videos. I love what Rachel did with them, um, but I'd like to take that. Uh, you know, a few mm. steps further, incorporating some localized test strips and f-stop timing because we gotta, wow. we gotta, you know, get more people buying Ilford paper. They don't need any of our help, you know, selling the film, but let's let's get some more, especially young people, uh, printing in the dark. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, our our, our dear leader. <laughs> So I left actually call him. He's a big fan of the uh, the simplicity packs where you get like the one or two shot of the Ilfasol 3, which if you buy in the regular bottle, will you just look at it, it'll go bad on you. You just look at it the wrong way and it's like, 
Yeah, I'm spoiling. <laughs> uh, well, that said, I have switched to Ilfotech HC from HC 110, and I've, I've been I really love that developer over the past little while. Uh, I've been using it this past winter, and I, I just sort of used it to process films like from Vilford stock to like Fomapan 400, and it makes Fomapan 400 wow. look good. I like the simplicity packs. The concept's like, really good. Oh yeah, well, especially if you're if you're trying it it for the first time you don't want to commit to like yeah i don't feel like spending 40 bucks on a bottle of developer and whatever it costs for stop and fix only to find out i completely otherwise suck at it and i'll just gladly keep a lab gamefully in business but it's like the simplicity pack is a great way to do it ultimately if you're traveling and you can't lug you know big bottles of chemistry with you you've got like these tiny bottles that you can sort of or tiny packs really you can take with you but then it's like you can improvise what you mix it up and you can buy the stuff literally at a grocery store if need be for mixing stuff up and you can process you just take your patterson tank or your metal hughes tank with you and you can process on well, the even even like there's there's certainly the travel aspect but like for introducing new people to home developing, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic oh, yeah. idea. I, I, I really wish they would, you know, work with Patterson or something and put a whole little kit together. You know, I think did they, I think they, they, did they do that with a tank? I don't know if they sell it in North America, but I know. I know like UK, FKP put do, their maybe. little package together. sinistel has got something too, right? You have, you, you guys do that, don't you, Andre? We do, yeah. Uh, they they do have an all boxed together simplicity kit. I've seen it for sale at Sammy's Camera here in in LA. Um, okay. There's, I mean, the, here's the great thing, right? Is that there's so many options when it comes to like these starter kits on the market right now. Uh, beginners are really spoiled for choice, and you pair that with some great educational content on platforms like YouTube. You know, hopefully we'll see more stuff in terms of reels and TikToks and whatever. Once, you know, the old farts, uh, you know, finally wrap their heads around things. Uh, Bill's, you know, trailblazing in that department. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be it'll be a really great, you know, next couple of years with uh, hopefully new people getting into processing. And then the natural extension of that, hopefully, is uh, darker and printing. Oh, yeah like darker and printing, especially with Intrepid, actually rejigging one of their field cameras and turning, hey, you can use this as an enlarger now, which it's great as a beginner's enlarger, but it's also great as an enlarger for someone who, say, lives in a, oh, I don't know, a Manhattan apartment or something like that. They just do not have the real estate or, oh, I don't know, a DeVere 504 with a, with a cold head and all that fun stuff, but you know, a little intrepid, they can wheel it into their mural, you know, windowless bathroom and they've got themselves. No, and even the fact that like it uses an led head um, and, you know, there's mm. a, a little micro USB port that ostensibly in the future, you can download firmware updates to, you know, have additional functionality. If somebody, you know, develops an app for it where you can, you know, program all of your, uh, you know, all your times and things at different multi-grade filters. That's like Highland electronics level functionality at like a fifth of the cost mm. or something like that. And less than that, the latest one oh, is $1,000. I, 
The eight by ten. Yeah. Really? Wow. Oh, I I saw an LED conversion for a Devere five hundred four. I just looked at it. Nope. <laughs> nope. We're just going to say nope. <laughs> That's like a camera country. <laughs> and my Devere five hundred four is forty years old. <laughs> Uh, the LED is interesting, right? Because like that basically, if you're going to do color printing, you could program oh, in like, color temperatures and yeah. things like that into the actual LED banks. Uh, interesting. Yeah. That's and some that, interesting. That it, thing that it, I, I mean, there's no like more dichroic app, app, right? app. Like it's just you're you just can basically, the actual light. <laughs> you know, get it to the point where just you know, with a simple little uh, user interface, dragging in little blocks that you can then program, okay, I want a grade five exposure here for, you know, three seconds. And then I want, you know, a five second gap where it's only emitting, you know, safe red light so that I can position my dodging and burning tools right where I need them to be. And then it switches over to a grade one exposure for whatever. So you can like, theoretically, you could build all this in with your, with your phone, you know, sitting right there next to the enlarger. um, And like, that's functional, like screw foot pedals. Like if you can just drag little blocks and, you know, choose what grade it's at, choose what wavelength of light or, or what multi-grade filter it's at, the, the potential for a system like this is like really, really exciting. Oh, that's cool. Uh, oh, the old and school. And also very offensive to all those tourists <laughs> out there that never, you know. Because my DeVere 504 is a condenser head, but I do have a Lights B35. It's an autofocus enlarger. It's can only do 35 millimeter film. Oh, it's wow. scary sharp. Yeah. And I think that'll be the one that comes with me when I do move. Uh and of course, uh, I should take a break here and introduce John Meadows, who is now joining us. Already in progress. And please, John, rescue us from this, uh, you know, uh, rabbit hole of nerding out on film technology or film slash digital technology before we our heads explode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I got a question for, for Jeff and Gabe. You both work in TV. How is that? How has your day job influenced your photographic style? Nerd, nerding out, well, man. I'll tell you I, one thing. I, I've always had a camera. I mean, in my case, I've always had a camera on set. And I, I usually, before that, I love shooting portraits, but, you know, it's sort of different on set because my relationship and our relationship with actors are different than the set photographers. So the set photographer is getting a very clean shot for the network and publicity department where I'm shooting in between takes and, you know, actors. Yeah. You're totally. documenting the reality more, there. Like that's sort of totally. And it's more snapshot it's more documenting and, and the sort of the settings, you know, it's pretty natural. So you'll find, you know, an actor going over lines in the corner of the stage or, you know, by C stands and, and things like that. And I didn't sort of, uh, embrace that or how much i love shooting like that until i saw when we were doing freaks and geeks and and the kids were 
you know, I was just shooting every day. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, <clears throat> that really helped for the, you know, later on when I was doing portraits, I sort of understood that mm. there's something special about just capturing moments as opposed to. Well, not, not only that, you've also right. got, yes. got a cheat in a way that the lighting mm -hmm. has been figured out for you because they've got to, they right. got to light it for the camera people. And you sit there going, well, the heavy lifting there is done. Cause one Canadian photographer, Yosef Carr, she actually volunteered with his wife's community right. theater group and he did the lighting and that's, that's how he learned how to light portraits. Yeah. Yeah, so stuff like Churchill, 10 years before, he was sort of honing it, like doing, a, I don't know, a community production of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, just pulling it out of the out of the air. He may or may not have done that, but it's sort of like he sort of honed his lighting wow, style cool. from the stage. And that's how he got all those. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, what Gabe is saying, I want to echo what Gabe's saying, because he's right in that a set is lit to be shot. So you know that pretty much if you, I mean, I, I have the most primitive camera in my back pocket when I'm on set, uh, which is an Olympus Pen EE3 loaded with Ilford XP2 Super, which is a stock with a lot of latitude. And I just basically pull it out and treat it like a point and shoot. And I take advantage of the fact, I think Gabe is sort of saying the same thing. The difference between the uh, the continent of the stage and what happens all around the stage, you know, seeing the difference between the, the way the light pools in the areas that are designed to be shot versus the parts that are sort of off stage, where the DP is, where video village is, where the script supervisor is, where wardrobe and hair and makeup are. That's really fun to document. So I do the same thing, not as elegantly as Gabe does, but I do. The other thing I would say, just in terms of like, just going back to your initial question, like how does one influence the other? What happens on a stage, by and large, is very rigorously controlled and premeditated. We spend a lot of time before we go to set thinking about what is going to happen on the day. We write and script and think about we have to make our days so it's very tight and fast paced and so forth. The thing about photography for me, and I, I think this is also true for Gabe, is there is no permission is required, no planning is required, and you're accountable only to yourself. So as a creative counterweight to the work that we do in our day job, it's liberating and exciting to be able to just go out and shoot and make things. And our podcast, I feel like, has to some extent become an extension of that. It is something that requires no there no permission. There's no <laughs> network per se. We never get notes. We don't have actors right, to right, accountable exactly. to. We just go out and make the thing. That's right. We don't even we don't have sponsors. Uh, I actually tend to actively court <laughs> offending and enraging people. So that's great because again, that's sort of the opposite of what happens in the day job. So yeah, creatively, it's an interesting sort of you know, as I said, like a counterweight. It's fun yeah. to have this side where we get to exercise our creativity in an entirely different mode. Seems like there's sense? more of a sense of authenticity then, uh, you know, in comparison to everything being sort of contrived on stage, right? So, well, I mean, it's just different. It's different. It's the, I, I hope that what we make in our day jobs is authentic, but it is, it is very premeditated and thought out. And mm -hmm. so I guess what you're saying, James, is like, 
you know, I think what Gabe does so beautifully in his set photography is catching those interstitial moments of what happens when actors are off. Yeah, exactly. When they yeah. are not, when they're not playing a part, when they're in between takes, when they're, you know, goofing around or trying to memorize their lines or having a sidebar with a, with a PA or a writer or something. And those kind of unscripted you know, uh, moments caught on the fly are really exhilarating. Mm -hmm. I, I love set photography in general. I love Mary Ellen Mark's set photography. Like there's lots of photographers who have yeah, done beautiful. this and I find it fun to see Jeff Bridges set photography is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Bridges is amazing. What he's done with the, yeah. the wide locks camera is unreal. And yeah. And again, I, I'm trying to remember, I, I can't remember who had him on as a guest. I want to see. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And they did it. Oh man, to have him on, yeah, just right. it's like even someone like Brad Pitt just sit him down. No, we don't want to talk about your day job, we want to talk about photography. Yeah. And, it, and it was they did a great <laughs> job because it was so great to hear him talk about something besides acting, you know. And he's yeah. such, yeah, oh hell, it's probably there's probably a ton of photography nerds in the business for sure. And they're probably, yeah, we don't, we don't want to hear about this, we want to talk about photography. <laughs> well, Gabe has minted a <laughs> few photography nerds, right. Right, <laughs> even better. Right. He has exactly. inadvertently minted a few by handing actors cameras. No, that's cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna open this question up to Andre and Bill, and I guess you know because again you are the other guest here, and I don't want to leave you left out cold. How's your photography counterweighted your day job? I mean, I've done a whole lot less of it since uh, starting to work in the industry. I can I can start off by saying that. Um, but you mm. know, in, in terms of like quantity versus quality, I've, I've definitely taken, a, a much more serious approach to the work that I create. Um, so mm. much of what I do with customer service, uh, is not really dealing with, you know, the Karens of the world. It's much more you know, educational in, in nature. When people ask like, well, what do mm. you do? Like, what is, what does it mean customer service? Are you just answering emails all day? I'm like, I mean, yes. And, no, you're yes a brand no. ambassador. Yeah. It's, it's, it's part brand ambassador. It's part educator. Um, you know, in a few weeks, I'm going to be uh, one of the co-instructors of a, of a online workshop with the George Eastman Museum. And as my career has progressed, it's taken a much more uh, education-focused approach to it. So what, what I'm trying to do in terms of my own photography is not, not you know, forget about the things that, that inspire me or that I'm passionate about, but I am trying to build technical proficiency and figure out a way of communicating some of the technical side of photography in, in hopefully a different way um, with the goal of empowering people to get good results quickly as a beginner, because mm. every photographer is coming at things from a, from a very different perspective. They're inspired by different things. They're going to create mm -hmm. their own amazing art, but there's nothing that kills somebody's interest in analog photography especially in these days where it's not nearly right. as affordable a hobby as it once was as spending money mm. to get to the starting line and tripping on your own shoelaces or, or or just having things explained to you in a way that's confusing 
getting bad looking results and right. either saying, oh, right. well, film just looks like shit or film's not reliable or this isn't worth it given how much money I'm spending on it. It was a fun experiment, but I've washed my hands clean of it. I'm going to go to digital. Yeah. We just did a recent episode on geared to beginners. And again, I think we're going to have to revisit that subject down the line on a fairly regular basis because it's sort of, it's an important topic. Like my, uh, my girlfriend's into is part of the local film photography scene. Uh, she's into it, but she does not have the same anywhere near the same technical technical proficiency I do. Now that said, she's also a musical composer. She's a rehearsal pianist. There is no way in hell I should be anywhere near her piano. It's like that simple. So it's sort of like, you know, she's getting better at it. Uh, like her composition is, you know, she's surprisingly really though. good. But technical stuff, it's like, yeah, yeah she needs. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a time thing, too. And I believe me, I, I'm self-taught. I, like, I have, a you know, boxes over there and. Over there are full of negatives of like, yeah, yeah. that's how I know. And, and it absolutely <laughs> does uh, take time, but I've heard way too many times the perspective from usually, you know, old men being like, well, you need to have a box full of, you know, screwed up roles and like you need to earn your way to, to success and things like that. And it's like, I can kind of see where you're coming from. And I do have a box full of, you know, really terrible roles that I Oh, I know. Up. And I'm guilty as charged because right. I am an old guy. But so at the same time, well, relatively at the old, same time, uh, if I can do my part to help create fresh, new, exciting resources that are uh, approachable to as wide an audience as possible to get them to the point where they're, they're at least achieving a level of, of, uh, competence in terms of things like even looking at their negatives and being able to to read a, a negative i think is a very underrated skill um i i think that that's gonna do a whole lot and part of it is of course selfish you know i have tied my career and the ability to put food on the table hopefully down the line you know start and raise a family on the future of this industry so it's absolutely somewhat self well, sure and, and it and it should be but uh, i think you raise a good point andre yeah I, i've taught uh photography uh for several years uh, at, at a local college here uh and uh, there's time you know that's the overwhelming sort of old person approach is i went through the school of hard knocks therefore you must also go through the school of hard knocks and there is no other way that is the right and only way but, you know, I mean, obviously that's an outdated and, you know, very narrow minded mentality. What I've always asked students was, what is it that you want to do? What is your expectation? So, you know, what is a, you know, if you're approaching it as a hobby, uh, is just taking a snapshot and being an imperfect journalist of photography what you're after? Do you just want to be a snapshot person and get decent results most of the time? Do you want to get really technical? Do you want to be creative with your chemistry? Do you want to learn how to read negatives? Do you want to shoot people? Do you want to shoot, you know, there's so many, so many different things. Do you want to just be a camera collector and accumulate and raise the prices for everyone else? Um, you know, some people want to do that or a combination thereof. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I always explain to it like this is photography, like most art forms is a journey. 
everybody is at different places in that journey. And the first step to finding some success, I think, is understanding where you are and where you want to go. So don't look at the end sort of vision, say, okay, what's my next step? Here's my path. Here's where my destination is. What do I need to do to get there? Do I need to have, you know, 10 cameras? Do I need one camera? Should I stick to one developer? Should I stick to one one or two stocks of film? We tend to get so overwhelmed by this stuff and then want to compete with everybody else and all these podcasts and pages on Facebook and websites. Got to have this. Got to have that. Oh, Sinistil's coming out with this new film. Oh, Ilford's coming out with this new film. Tom Brady's unretired. You know, like, it's just like, you know, like all this crazy shit in the world. And it's just like, just keep it simple, people. You know, like, just pick a spot and aim for that spot. Move on to your next target once you've hit that one. Yeah, and like I would and, love and to tag goal, on to that. My, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, my goal with with trying to kind of help beginners achieve some level of, of uh, you know, technical knowledge, uh, functional competence is, and that's going to be different for each person because different people, you know, will require uh, different l- levels of that in order to create the work that they want. But what I oftentimes like kind of bristle at is when people say like, oh, film photography is so serendipitous. No, it's not. Before digital photography, this was photography and it was not serendipitous. Now, yes, there are many variables. The light looks different in different parts of the world. Of course, that that is a factor. But I want to get you to the point to where you can repeatedly create the work that you want. Happy accidents are fun, but I don't want your work to be only happy accidents. I would love for you to get to the point where you're doing awesome things on purpose consistently. I am so excited to be a contrarian about this. (laughs) Oh boy. Go for it, Jeff. It's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. Okay. Nothing but respect to the people on this podcast who actually teach the stuff, okay? Because, you know, in James's case and in Andre's case, the people who come to you have decided to come to you to say, I'm going to an expert to learn about photography. So what I'm talking about is not those kind of people. I hear from a lot of friends who say, my kid just found a camera at a yard sale. Will you help them learn how to use it? And It's interesting. You could definitely sit down with that kid and explain to them about the exposure triangle and about what an f-stop is and what a shutter speed is and what film speed is and how those things work together in a mystical kind of concert to give you an appropriately exposed and beautiful image. I don't do any of that. I actually just give people the absolute basics that it takes to get an image. Because I always, because I remember when I was learning photography at summer camp, the magic, the thing that got its hooks in me was watching an image emerge in that developing tray, like making something, okay, even if it was terrible, making something spurred the desire to make more somethings. And I think in my case, if I had been hit with a flood tide of incoming data that tells me about the proper way to do it and the best way to this and the optimal way to that, it would have scared me off. And the thing is, getting even the crummiest result, that's what spurs people to want to get in and do it more. You know, I gave my brother, who had never had an analog camera in his life, gave him an OM-1, gave him some 
Ilford XP2, which, as I said, is a stock with tons of latitude. It is very hard not to get a usable image of XP2. Even if you underexpose it by four stops, you can still get a nice looking image out of it. And he was so excited when he got his first rollback. He was like, he was so excited because he was like, I expected four or five of the shots to be okay. But when he saw that 25 of the shots were okay, that's what got him excited to do more. And that's when those, when those people have that excitement, then there it's fertile ground to seed with all of the other stuff. And as I said, I'm talking about a different kind of student than what Andre and James are talking about. Actually, I'm talking you're about not. a total neophyte. You're not. I, we're actually saying the same thing. Uh, are we? Go uh, ahead. You are, you are, we are agreeing 100%. And I have, we've probably chewed the similar similar types of dirt in our life because that's the <laughs> same way I fell in, fell in love with photography was in the darkroom and seeing that print come to life. Sure. So what I, I should clarify, what I meant by, you know, it's a journey and, and you know, pick off your targets. The, what I mean by that is it's, there's a different target for everyone. Yeah. Somebody, somebody might want to become a professional this and that. And, and there, the way that they learn is I need to know all of the technical BS that goes into it. Or, hey, I just want to have some fun. I just want to take some photographs. And when I get my rollback, I want to have a handful of fun, happy memories. That's it. And that's totally cool. And that's if that's what somebody wants to learn, that's what we should teach them. That's why yeah. there's no right way or wrong way. It's right. what you want. What do you want? I and and where I where I kind of tend to come into the picture, or not me personally, but like the stuff that I'm working on with Cinestill is when some of those people, not all of them, of course, get to the point where they're having a lot of fun, just mind blown that they even got results and their level of expectation starts to rise. And they're like, well, I don't want, you know, uh 20, 20, you know visible images on the roll. I want to start increasing that. What can I start doing there? It's like, all right, come to us. Yeah, for sure. We're not trying to push. We're trying to pull in terms of, we have the resources here. When you are ready to start, you know, increasing your knowledge to make this a little bit more consistent, know a little bit more about, about what's going on, why you're doing things and start uh, trying to build competence, the resources are here for you, but we're, we'll wait until you're ready. When someone, when, when someone starts out as a photographer, like uh, as a beginner, the most important product is not the image. The most important product is the joy and the excitement because that will lead to uh, the images later on. Like that you build on the yeah. foundation of excitement uh, and they can go as far as or not as far as they want, but without without the excitement, you know, what's the point? Absolutely. I think it's getting that feedback loop going. Yeah. You know, it's I think it's roughly analogous. Like if you're trying to teach somebody how to play guitar, if you teach them four or five chords, they can play a lot of songs, a lot of songs. And that is what is going to spur their desire to learn four or five more chords. Yeah. You know, as opposed to saying you need to learn all 18 basic chords and all the minors and suspended and say like that's too much and it's overwhelming and it makes it seem thank you bill says c a g and d he's absolutely right um 
that's what spur it's getting that feedback loop going so that people are motivated to want to take the adventure that Anjay just described, to want to ratchet up their expertise, to want to buy the book, the magazine, go on the website, take the class, buy the other film stock, get the second camera, the second lens, you know, but I just think sometimes we overwhelm people with too much and make them feel like, oh, you must murmur this sacred incantation before you can enter our priesthood. And that tends to put people off, you know, so, (laughs) you know, and I'm a moron, right? I just have to be very clear on this. I'm a moron who not only never studied photography, but never studied screenwriting. So I am the canonical example of someone who just blunders his way through stuff and hopefully learns and absorbs information. The reality is, is most of us are lucky morons in life. <laughs> Yeah, you basically you're the, the the Peter Sellers character from seeing, being there. It just yeah. it just showed up. <laughs> well, you know, I just wanted to throw in there that I think I think uh, I'm kind of going through this process with my wife. Um, you know, she started a travel blog, and um, she's seen me in the world of photography for a decade uh, in general, and um, so you know, we got her her first film camera, and we we went through a lot of failure at the very beginning, uh, just trying to figure out what she likes and her experience was not a great start from the get go. And I think that a lot has to come down on me as a teacher because, uh, and I, I certainly taken things that I've learned my interactions with her versus, you know, somebody that is, you know, is not my wife. Um, we we've gone through, you know, she started off with, you know, a manual focus camera and um, images were not in focus. She doesn't have the great greatest mm-hmm. eyesight. And I was like, well, let's get you into an autofocus camera. Mm-hmm. And then there was a stigma that clicked in at that point. She goes, well, I don't want to shoot mm-hmm. autofocus. So well, why not? She says, because it's easier. Well, like just because it's easier doesn't necessarily mean like it's, you have to endure the suck in order yeah. to like get good res- good results. So, and and that, but that's an interesting mentality. Like I'm I'm learning from all of this conversation from her. I'm like I was like Jess, what's the most important thing? You want good images at the end of the day, right? And she's like, yes. I'm like, then I'm telling you, uh, you know, I'm highly, 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 highly recommending. Let's get you into an autofocus. Let's get good results because that's mm-hmm. what you're striving for forget about this whole, I got to have a manual focus. I got to start off on a K1000 or AE1 program or whatever. I was like, just shoot whatever is going to give you the result that you want. And so we got her an EOS 1N. And That's a yeah. good camera. She's given it a name and, and she, you know, and it was a great kit, you know, and people don't pay attention to those cameras because it's autofocus, right. like the plastic fantastics. They have that name for a good reason because they're well, plastic cameras. I, I, I gave my girlfriend for Christmas an Nikon F. Well, for the Americans in the studio audience, it's an N ninety, but it, up here it's an F ninety with an uh, a Nikon AF fifty one eight. Because she's been using sort of manual focus cameras, and you know she enjoys the journey, but it was like. Setting it up to aperture priority, put it on F8. She just went to town with it. And it's like the success rate just went through the roof. And she loves it. And she enjoys shooting with it. And, uh, you know, it's her go-to. 
Yeah. That's why it's, it's so important to ask somebody that's coming to you for educational reasons. What is it that they want to do? Because if they just want to take photos, well, guess what? Every bloody camera manufacturer known to mankind has an automatic camera for people that could give two shits about this developer, that developer, this film stock, the exposure triangle, stopping motion, motion blur, yada, yada, yada. They want 30 out of 36 how decent see, shots. How That's how all they want. I mean, you know, the, we have people, the flexibility. Have we have fun. a local camera rental company here, Aperture Rent. Um, you know, if we go on a big trip and she wants to have like really good glass, we can just rent it for a weekend, you know? So, you know, we, yeah, so we had the opportunity oh, to, to do some really cool things and experiment with a lot of things, but, you know, um, I think I've certainly learned from her as far as how I approach myself, uh, teaching aspect of don't be so overbearing when you, when somebody's interested in something, listen. Uh, because, yeah. yeah, I think that's the one thing if you're, I, I yeah, I think uh, anyone who's like gets a friend or an acquaintance yeah. or someone you know in the community comes up, yeah, just listen. What do you, what do you want to try and do? Yeah, exactly. No. And, no, and no. I think that's the toughest part because we're just so, like for all of us here, like we can, we can, I mean, yeah. we've started podcast we we can talk about don't this, ruin it for you know, 100 episodes plus you know for for many of us here right yeah and and Easy. i think um the toughest part is we to talk so much that we forget that we need to zip this up and just listen to what the person is trying to tell us that they want to accomplish and then just give them that and if they mm-hmm. want to learn more then we'll give them that little bit right. more Definitely. and i think um I think that's just a sigma of just us being overly excited about things and wanting to be too helpful about things, yeah. you know? So like I, I'll, I'll, I throw myself under the bus with this one, right? Uh, uh, um, uh, Emily over dark slide lab, you know, she, she had a video of her having an issue with the Jobo lid. Right. So I, I like so, something little flip in my head, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to send her this link of the Jobo pump and then it will pop the lid off. And she's like, yeah, I kind of already know about that. I'm like, all right, cool. I appreciate it. Well, just want to let you know. And uh, best of luck. I love her film lab is doing well. And then like within a few minutes, she, she was on, uh, uh, stories going, I literally got five messages from like five dudes, like within five minutes saying you need to do this or you need to do that. Or, you know, and I was like, ah, I need to take that thought and take that in listen to myself about that and listen to that feedback rather than being so like callous about it um but yeah emily and i had a great conversation after that and uh um but you know it's it's one of those things that you kind of just have to check yourself to go don't be overbearing when somebody is new and interested in this I think it's a tough line to toe too, because like, okay, so I'm going to speak from the female perspective on this. Um, just yep. with my YouTube channel, uh, you know, sometimes I have people who comment and they say stuff, you know, especially like on a camera, like um, my Mamiya RB67, like I know that camera, like the back of my hand. So when someone starts to talk to me about it, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like, are you mansplaining or no, but, or are you just so excited And just want to impart every little bit of knowledge because that's what I want to do as well. You know, like even for myself, I have to take that bias and put it aside and say, okay, he's probably not 
telling me what to do. This person's probably just super excited and wants to impart whatever wisdom they have, just like I do with other people. So, you know, there is that line to toe, mm. but I think that your genuine intention will come through. Like if you're someone who just wants to tell other people what to do and what to say, then that will come off poorly. But if you're someone who just wants to help the other person on the receiving end, will say like, okay, they just want to help me and it's cool. That's great, Jess. And the preamble to that message, the preamble to that message, whether it's a YouTube comment or just a comment that you're putting in like someone's Instagram live, I think can do wonders saying like, hey, I recently, you know, discovered this and it helped me out so much. I don't know if you already know this, you know, if you if you do, you know, I hope it helps other people here in the comments section. Like, yes, that takes more time and thought and consideration to even, you know, think about much less right in the comment. But that can just change completely how that's perceived by the the person exactly receiving that comment. Uh, sadly, there's no shortage of gatekeepers in the community. Well, in, almost in any hobby, you get gatekeepers, right. people who feel that they are in yep. exclusive possession Definitely. of the truth, capital T, and will dispense right. wisdom to acolytes. And that yep. just drives people away from yep. photography. Mm-hmm. And it, it's shameful. And I wish I wish some people would just sort of shut the F up sometimes. But again, sometimes it could just be like excitement, too. Yeah. So. Like, I know I can gatekeep, too, sometimes like I'm going to be I'm going to be honest, I'm going to hold myself accountable for what I do say. Sometimes I know I can also be guilty of gatekeeping because there are certain things that I go through as a photographer myself, like, you know, I've been shooting just cameras since I was nine years old and more seriously, like the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And even my own perception of photography has changed. You know, I used to be one of those people who was like, ah, digital is bad. Film is the only way to go because that's what I felt at the time. And as I evolved as a person and a photographer, I've learned to kind of take information too and dispense it differently. If that makes any sense, completely agree. Makes it makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, and I, it's it's such a valid point. Like often we dispense help without being asked for it. You know, and if we would just as human beings, and I, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, without going down an even bigger rabbit hole, is a function of social media. Like you know, we're we know it's just the state of communication in society today. Nobody listens. Everybody just wants to tell, tell, tell. And take a minute and say, oh, hey, do you need help? Is there something I can help you with? Tell me your situation. If, if you do, if you don't, okay, cool. You know, instead of saying, oh, you're doing this wrong or you should be doing this or doing that. And I think part of that is our ego too, is like we're, we've, we are always seeking reassurance yeah, for sure. uh, and our own personal confirmation of our path was the correct path. Our position mm-hmm. is the correct path. So yeah, like we're, we're looking for, you know, whether or not it's misery loves company, or we're looking for a band of acolytes to lift us up. I don't know. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. I think is human nature. I, I too, Jeff, I am just as guilty, probably more guilty than you. Uh, but you know, that's just, you know, uh, I'm a stupid boy. I'm 51 years old and, uh, you know, get off my lawn. Uh, give me a break, James 51. I've got laundry your age. <laughs> <laughs> hey changing gears 
changing. Yeah, I one too. Get off my lawn. Gas. We all suffer from it. Mm. Okay, I'm going to confess. I recently picked up this lovely mint chrome Nicromat FT3. Oh. Bought a AI fifty one four lens with it. It works perfectly. I'm just waiting for the bloody seal kit. It replaces two Nikon FMs that basically they both died on. And you think Nikon's they're built to last? Well, these two ones are cursed, and I've spent with one of them, which will be featured in an upcoming classic camera revival episode. Cursed cameras. Stay tuned, boys and girls. This October, it's coming up soon. I think I dropped the equivalent of a Nikon FM2T into that camera to keep get it going. <laughs> so it's just like it, it was cosmetically, it looks great, but it had a shutter issues and they went to three different techs and it sort of works. And it's just like, you know what? No, nah. right. <laughs> it's gone. I'll probably put it up on Facebook marketplaces parts or, Hey, here's two FMs, build them into one. It'll work. But the Nicromat FD Nicromats, they never it fail plus, me. Plus right. plus read. They're built like trucks. And they can work down to like, I don't know, we're minus 30, regardless if it's Fahrenheit <laughs> or Celsius. It's damn cold. <laughs> Without a hassle. So who else has splurged recently? It's okay. <laughs> You're amongst friends. Crickets. I'll the tumbleweeds rolling fast. Oh, uh, come on. So I got uh, well, I ordered it, it's in process of being built. Uh pulled the trigger on an intrepid Ooh. uh eight by ten. <gasps> nice. Yep. Um, uh so I've been shooting so much four by five, but I, I think at least for my personal journey, um I've found myself spending more time and effort in getting one shot or less shots rather than putting a lot of time and effort into a lot of shots. Um, and I think I've mm. learned personally to be far more intentional about what that image uh, is supposed to mean because um, a lot of the imagery that I'm trying to get to, uh, I guess, as far as, uh, or I guess where I want to be is uh, interpretation of the image um and so uh, mm. storytelling in a single frame you know uh, uh gabe and jeff you know it's you guys doing storytelling great. on multiple frames you know so my challenge to myself is to get those uh a, some kind of story going on in one shot um so eight by ten uh at the end of the day it doesn't matter what size uh the the frame is right but uh, at least for me i feel like part of that process of I this this is an expensive frame. Um, I need to get this right. It has made me very hyper focused on making sure that everything is right in the final shot. Um, so and, and I think intentionality comes into that uh, play. So a uh, few more weeks before that comes in, oh. um, and uh, I'm looking for expired film on eBay for. Well, let me tell you how to do it right, Bill. It is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This unsolicited <laughs> feedback is welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll play the I'll play the industry shill role here and say, uh, "Bill, buy new film and support the industry." <laughs> <Getting there. laughs> 
uh, I'm buying new film cameras. So that, that's really great. I, I I certainly see the the merit in your yeah. your approach there. Yeah, the very intentional one shot at a time kind of thing. Yeah, that's so very cool. Speaking of gas, my latest acquisition oh, is Fujika wow. uh, Texas Leica. Oh yeah, it's the original uh, GW six ninety. I got it from. Uh, Nice. from japan it's not in perfect Ooh, condition sweet. but i got a pretty good deal like it everything works it's but it's beaten up but it works great and uh like bill you're talking about intentionality like it's not quite like a view camera but on a roll of 120 a six by nine there are eight count them eight exposures so mm -hmm. this is this is not a spray and pray kind of camera you go through a roll very very quickly so i'm hoping that mm. uh, i can take some of that kind of approach to photography no, again like six by nine it's it's uh it's almost it's almost large format it's looking around large format gear or you know as you sure. said or as i said my one adventure in large format i burned through yeah. a sheet of fomapan 100 mm -hmm. to realize yeah i wasn't ready for this it was uh the, the day i broke up with large format it was a hot day bent over looking through a speed graphic with an old brass lens, very, very dim. My back was killing me, trying to focus the loop. <laughs> and I said to myself, John, you're right, right. No one's paying you to do this. Yeah. Meanwhile, James customized his uh, Linhoff with uh, <laughs> what, uh, a new ground glass. Oh, yeah. Because uh, my eyesight's turned to shit now that I'm an old fart. Yeah. Get a line uh, and take yeah, a number so there, I, Mr. I, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I sprung for a Maxwell screen best investment ever just yeah, incredible so, so bright worth it. really expensive though oh hell yeah i got one in my yeah. uh my 3.5 f rolly flex and it's like oh damn, damn nice this is like, totally agree i did the same yeah, thing compared same to my thing. e series yep. it's like it, it's like same well it's almost the same camera but you know slightly different variations like four years older but you look down and it's like the original ground glass God, this thing has cataracts. Completely. <laughs> if you if you can find uh, BD intense screens for any of your cameras, highly recommend buying them. I have one for my GX six eighty, and you know I got it before things prices had exploded. But I think I paid about three hundred bucks for wow. it. Just it it it's literally like watching a three D movie. It's it's so incredibly bright and sharp. But uh, and the Maxwell is just as bright. But uh, um, you might want to look into something like that for the eight by ten, Bill. Uh, if, if uh, depending on how bright the screen is, but I found it really, really helped me. Um, it's uh, just when it comes to uh, old turning old and getting shitty eyesight. I call it like, Gen X eyesight. Yeah, but I yeah, I mean, like you know, as far as the thirty five millimeter cameras are totally fine for me. But uh, <laughs> anytime I get into some kind of view camera, I always find that the like the standard matte screens are just they're just not bright enough for me anymore so well, bright screens are you know. a crutch you know if you if you're like real photographers can deal with dim <laughs> screens and stopping down to f64 all right i'll turn in my grumpy old man card now then <laughs> i'm gonna go hang out at a starbucks for the next four hours <laughs> contemplate life that's <laughs> that's tears and sadness right there james <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask the group all right since i'm again i'm probably strange in this regard so uh, i'll just to shorthand this i have this pentax mf 
which mm-hmm. is a variant of the Pentax ME Super, which is a half frame camera. And originally it was a medical camera. You can't shoot with it. I had our camera repair guy replace the aerial glass with actual ground glass so I can shoot with it. It's a real camera now. I love that I can actually use this thing now, as opposed to just mm-hmm. having some object that sits on the shelf as a curiosity. I'm thinking about this also apropos of what you guys are saying about modding a Roly TLR to make it a better and more usable camera. Do you have <laughs> any ambivalence about the camera being non-original if it is actually becoming a more useful tool. I think you already hear where I'm coming down on this, but I'm a strange person. Jeff, what do you guys think? Jeff, you're weird. Uh, it really I don't know. is. I, <laughs> I, I know. It's a, a, in my situation, I, I, the 3.5F Rolly that I got, I got it in a trade when I traded off my Hasselblad kit because, you know, I liked my Hasselblad kit. I didn't love it. <clears throat> Brian Kiparichi, and he, uh, we did the... Uh, hostage exchange at oddly enough a starbucks and a lovely little town called vineland between well oakville and niagara falls on the queen elizabeth way which is sort of a six yeah four lane super highway that takes you to the u.s border anyway uh so did the trade-off there i found it infinitely easier to use it's sort of commonplace amongst rolly flex repair techs like Harry, the Harry Fleeners of this world saying, yeah, we can replace it with a Maxwell or a BD screen for you. Because, like I said, the average person who's buying Rolleiflex is, you know, they're not, you know, 22-year-old art students. Uh, you know, they're probably in their 30s or 40s. And, yeah, they spent way too much time from the computer, you know, earning so they can buy that rolly flex and it's like yeah they need a little help and again it just makes life easier and again also the technology has gone forward oh, from they, you know 1956 to 1960 with as far as focusing screens go so the rolly flex people then it's like yeah that's okay i don't have a problem with it maybe you want to do it when it's out of warranty but again all these cameras are so you don't care that it's not as it left the factory. You don't care that it's not nobody care. Nobody. <laughs> I know you did. Yeah, I would. Uh, there are uh, there are other alternatives out there. <laughs> I, I did this, Jeff, if you remember, I did this with a few of the, the Roloflexes. I was I was shooting and I was, you know, the as you all know, Harry Fleener, or I, I haven't checked this year, but it's a very long wait. Like when you're getting anything adjusted or anything. Right. And it was sort of like, so I went to Harry because we were shooting in Manhattan Beach, a show we were doing, and I brought... I bought a bunch of Roloflex, my Roloflex collection. I brought him in here, <laughs> brought them in there. And all my screens were those faded yellow, either really scratched or just faded yellow. And it was really dim. And I just said, Harry, I want the screens in these cameras and I want to wait here for it. <laughs> like it was like, I had no, I mean, I this was just like a lark. Like he's just going to say, you know, get out of here. And 
I I seriously uh, sat there and I said I wanted. He goes, "Do you want?" I said, "I want Maxwell screens and all these cameras, and I want to wait here." And he did it. It was the only time ever that I just and it didn't. It wasn't crazy long time, but I was so passionate about it. You know, you know, he saw the screens and on them. But I'm telling you, the 2.82 that I use from 1959 mostly for a lot of my photography is it just made me focus, you know, not not worry about so much. I mean, I, I see it clearly. It takes less time focusing. Those faded screens are such a chore. It actually like it was really just looking at these, you know, yellowed screen and going, is that in focus? I'm not sure. And that would just be an extra beat. And I think that it really makes a difference in those cameras or if that situation but no i know i don't have the feeling you do jeff and i know it would drive you absolutely crazy to know that it wasn't original yeah I, i'm gonna jump in on this one because i think if we're talking about modding a camera like there, there's degrees yes. of modding like the thing is replacing a focusing screen you keep the right. old screen yep. you can get that screen put back in it's not it's not irreversible yeah it's like the uh it's it's when like if you're let's say doing something it's irreversible then yeah uh, but you have to decide is is the is the is the camera a tool to take pictures or is it something that belongs on on a shelf now what really pisses the hell out of me is when i see people take cameras like not photographers they'll take cameras and turn them into lamps or like non like that's that that's that's a war yeah, crime. That, that's, no, that's that's a war crime. That that's worthy I got, of a war I actually got, meeting with a tiger. Yeah. I got one for Christmas as a present. <laughs> like like anything that keeps people shooting photography is great. Now, like let's say, hopefully someone's not going to take like a one of a you know one in a million or one of a thousand unique, like or or something or collector's item and and saw it in oh, half makes, or something. Makes... But for stuff where parts can be easily replaced and put back in, why not? Right. Would you mod a Polaroid a pack second. film camera in a for second. Instax if it was irreversible? I know, some, I know some because they're cheap as oh, chips. Yeah. I know We're not talking guys, about something that's guys. rare. They're like a garage sale inventory. What? I'm uh, okay. I know not everyone who's like been doing, doing stuff with Polaroid cameras. <laughs> uh, I can't reach model, but turn them into 120. Oh, yeah, the, the guy the guy in the States oh. who, who takes like 110 yeah, I've seen and that 95 too. Bs yeah. and turns them into uh four by five range finders. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm weirdly cool with that because that that roll film that those old cameras use is absolutely unavailable there is no earthly way to use that camera except as a piece of decor on your shelf so if you could turn it into something that still looks the same but shoots a four by five frame well of course yeah but for some reason the prospect of taking my polaroid 195 which i do love and modding that for instax which to me is an inferior medium to pack film even though pack film is a hundred bucks a pack it, so, it, so it Jeff, are, are you going to be doing a high stakes break in at Brooklyn Film Camera? Because they seem to find these like it's yeah, like you're hiring mercenaries. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Bill, it's the worst. It's the worst. It causes me such anguish. I mean, and I am staring at my film fridge, which which contains no joke, 
83 packs of oh, packs wait, 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 on right now. Mr. Greenstein, 83. Just, uh, just for this. And I had a thought the other day. <laughs> I know. Where do I live? Yeah, yeah exactly. You bet. Don't use any GPS <laughs> on this signal. 83 packs of FP3000B and FP100C. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I was driving around the other day and sort of idly thinking about the fact that at Brooklyn Film Camera's yeah. prices, that's $10,000 worth of film. Yeah, that's insane when I see that yep. on Instagram. Yes, we've got a couple and more, you know, master packs from some photographer's studio in Manhattan is retiring and it's a yeah. all, all going, know we is, have someone yeah. on the podcast. She shoots instant film a lot and it's like she's just near crying because even though she's, she's a CPA yeah. earning yeah, real I money, yeah. it's like yeah. she's yeah. not saying I can't afford that. Crazy. I have taken to sending pack film. We've had a yeah. couple of guests on the show who are pack film shooters. Uh, this Savannah-based photographer named Emily Earl, whose work I love, and Claire Marie Bailey, who uh, you know is part of the Sunny Sixteen family. She shoots primarily Polaroid integral film. I have some old yeah. Polaroid integral. I send it to artists I like. I would rather do that than yeah. than have the hundred and twenty five dollars for the pack. Yep. I would rather support the artist, and I'm I'm lucky that way that I can support the artist. But it's obscene to me to sell pack film at those prices. I understand yeah. that it's valuable and people will pay for it. But it's exploitive. Yeah. I just, I just yeah. don't love it. I really don't. And well, look. And I say this as someone who paid Brooklyn Film Camera to restore my SX70, and I love yeah. what they did to it. That's a wonderful service, and I'm glad they exist. But my God, that is just, just beyond. I don't know why. That's why just... we are all going to get together, and we're going to reboot Pack Film. The seven of us <laughs> yes. are going to get together. <laughs> Look, the reality is, 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 is the... <laughs> that's obviously what Sinistil's been working on, right, Andre? Paxtil. Nope. Um, we, we get some <laughs> wild questions about like what we're making, and it's like, yo, like look basically, at what we currently you're running. Making. It's not that hard to yeah, it's see what our limitations are. What are like using for fifty D and eight hundred T? It's like. Maybe you could yeah, like slot the 250D in not, there. It's sort of a high speed in the daylight. of like Maybe. creating new emulsions or it, like making cameras. It's like, you know, <laughs> we, we get some wild questions about, about stuff. No, but since still is doing a very valuable, like, <laughs> especially, uh, the, you know, just the dark rooms. The darkroom stuff. Mm. And I think I consider you almost more of a darkroom company than a film company at this point, because your skew your skew line in your in your your chemistry and accessories, for lack of a better term, it's way deeper. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that's like mm -hmm. new as of like the past three, four years. Um for the longest time it was just 800 t 35 like uh the, the first few um rolls of like beta 120 film they did we didn't have packaging for it they were reusing like prescription pill bottles um so yeah we, we've come a long way on the dark side of the moon
You know, you got to like, uh, be like Burlington, uh, or sorry, I mean, uh, Brooklyn camera, you know, they found the Fuji freezer. Oh, so man. you got to go find the Fuji, other Fuji freezer. I love it. <laughs> the truth is out there. people. The truth is out there. Hey, let me, Andre, I know this is, this entirely contradicts what you just said. Is it possible to manufacture Kodak Aerochromes? Uh, and and I'm getting this from uh, Robert Shane Brooks' answer to this question on the Camerosity podcast. If I remember that correctly, the Aerochrome uh, oh, okay. process required coding machinery that had much more, many more layers that need to be all coded at the same time than what is currently produced. Oh, okay. Also, a huge part of modern. Uh, and, and this applies to Kodak, this applies to ADOX, um, the, the, you know, I'm going to start crying monitoring and QC portion of all that is using infrared light and infrared cameras to monitor. We do the exact same thing at Sinisto. We use infrared. So oh, sure. the combination yeah. of all these factors make it, Got it. to the point okay. where it's like, Aerochrome's not coming back, y'all. Mm-hmm. I want I want two rolls of it in our uh, sinister like yeah, white elephant amazing. party uh, back in 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 December our, our little holiday party uh, coming from the, the the twins' own personal cold storage so it's, it's sitting in my freezer right now waiting for the summer and some higher UV indexes to hopefully do some cool things with it. I don't even see it on eBay anymore. Dean Benici stopped distributing it and i yeah and I, I don't see it anywhere i have two or three roles now which i i guess i'm saving for a project to be named later but that you know that again is like one of the things i find so exciting is like a film that you can make an image with that is not replicable by any other film stock or and really, like you guess like any I, digital I know process. what the monetary value of it is right now and it's only going to get higher but i'm never going to have the opportunity probably to shoot aerochrome ever again. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what that film is worth. I'm going to shoot those two roles. Right. Yeah. I had a conversation with uh, Dean uh, right towards the end of the project. And uh, I said, you know, Hey, is this even possible? And uh, Dean said he had a conversation with Kodak about this. And he said, you know, how, how, if I want to make this, can it, is it possible? And, uh, Kodak said, uh, anything's possible if you got the money for it. And, and so, uh, I said, okay, well, do they throw a number at you? And at the time he told me that, uh, he needed a front at least $6 million (laughs) to, to make at least six million for for that. So he was I, probably thinking like Jason Bourne, like, give me $6 million. I'll take it and I'll leave the country and you'll never see me again. You'll never see the film. Yeah. But for $6 million, I could get so far that you'll never catch yeah, me. Yeah, and you get that $6 million earning a 10 or 15% return a year. You don't have to work ever again. Yeah, just put it in index fund and just, you know. Speaking of new film, has anyone seen the new ADOX 200 color film? I mean, wait. Yeah, I got it in my camera. Oh, right now, sweet! Oh. Have, have you gone through it all the way through? Because I've been meeting to grab a few rolls, but they're forever kind of 
showing out of stock online. Yeah, I talked to Lena about it. Um, she said that they're working on spooling more. Um, so it's a, it's a very manual process. So, mm. um, but uh, there's definitely more coming into the market. Oh, um, uh, Dunwoody Photo down here. If you, if I think they still got a few rolls left because when I I hit them up, I was like, hey, just put in an order for fifty rolls. That was their mm. max at the time, and. Um, and so they the, the upcharge on it was like a dollar fifty or something. They're selling it for fourteen ninety nine a roll. So um, they got maybe ten or fifteen rolls left. Last I mm. talked to them on Thursday. Mm. So um, so yeah, give them give them a call. They'll ship it to you and everything. Uh, I think right now they're just doing one roll limit to make sure that everybody gets a an opportunity to shoot. I'm it. probably going to wind up uh, ordering straight from Photo Impacts in Berlin. Like I did an order for some. Yeah. Burger Pancro 400 because I love that film, but nobody has it in North America right now for good. Thank you, COVID. Uh, so I, I ordered that along with some bulk rolls of foam pan 400, and it's just like, yeah, it took a month and a half to get to Canada. Well, maybe it's not so much a month and a half. It's more like DHL got it to Montreal pretty quick. It just sat in Montreal at a Canada Post warehouse for a month. And the, uh, the ADAR <laughs> color mission, for, for, for anybody who's not already familiar with it, um, and, and Bill Manning, you can probably help me out with this as well, um, but it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to invest in the future industrial capability of a modern, very passionate film manufacturer in ADOX. Uh, they did not coat this uh, emulsion. It was coated for them a few years ago by a company that has since gone bankrupt. But ADOX has been trying to get to the point where they can, uh, you know, synthesize and coat color negative emulsions for many years now. And hopefully the the money that they're raising through the selling of, of this film that has been in storage for a few years will bring them closer to reaching that goal because more competition in the color negative uh, mm. side of the market from a production standpoint is only a good thing for everybody. Oh, oh, I can't agree more because right now it's really the Kodak show and it's the, the Kodak show. Fuji's, I don't know, <laughs> doing something. We're not sure what, but yeah breaking people's hearts <laughs> well uh, here's the thing though uh to to a lot of people that are saying that you know kodak wants a monopoly and that they're monopolizing off of this they don't no i know they don't um, want to conversation it's more fuji decided yeah we don't want to play this game anymore <laughs> yeah well and it just uh kodak recognizes that competition is healthy um and so from the rumors I've heard that there is a lot of collaboration uh, across a lot of the or different organizations uh, in trying to make sure that a color film uh, is not Kodak. Mm. Um, so, so there is, you know, Kodak is trying to influence competition so that they're not the only person or the only company in the game. That's good. So I have to applaud them for that. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I was sort of wondering what's going on with Orwell at the moment, because they had a bit of a financial hiccup and I heard they've sort of reorganized themselves in the German equivalent of, I guess, chapter 11. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it gives them a management reorg, and a lot of the debt that they had is freed up now. So, That's a good thing, because I yeah. love their UN54, yeah. and sadly, for whatever reason, they the North American Orwell site, they rebuilt it, and it looks pretty. And it says, yes, we're in North America, but they don't have anything to ship to Canada. So if you're Orwa North America, please fix your uh, shipping module there on that lovely, <laughs> pretty website of yours, because I want to buy more. <laughs> I know. Shameless self-plug. Feel free to contact their customer service and let me know how that experience goes. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, the North American customer experience, uh, service. I, I've never, I, I've never, you know, dealt with, like as a, a fellow enthusiast and a photographer i've contacted kodak ilford lamography fujifilm customer service um multiple times and i'm always like you know curious to see what what other people are doing or how things are are stacking up i sent a polite email to orwell north america i heard not and this is like a month ago i haven't heard back oddly enough orwell in germany liked and shared one of my photos that I shot through, I think it was like a, it was a midwinter walk, midtown Toronto around my girlfriend's neighborhood. They loved it. And I just sort of asked them, what's the story with uh, UN 54 and 30 meter rolls? Cause again, they're German. So we say meters and they're like, yeah, we're not making that anymore in that length. Uh, Cause I have a feeling they're probably looking to sell the consumer length, 36 exposures, eventually. I think that's their long-term game plan. And probably keep the 400-foot rolls uh, for cinematographers. That's my conjecture as a customer. But needless to say, I know North America is still sitting on some 100-foot rolls. So it's like, I just want to buy some. <laughs> I don't know. Fun, fun times, as they say. Other than that, uh, dealing with other ones like photo impacts, they were easy. Like the customer's experience with them, it was just more like once it was shipped, it's in DHL's hands or Canada Post because it was one of those DHL to postal carrier. And then after that, you're just waiting for the postal carrier to clear it through customs and they're at the end of the line. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> I just ordered some uh, some film from um, I, de- I decided to do the uh, Santa Ray film. They were raising money. They were selling it all off so that they could give money to uh, Ukraine for everything that's going on. And so I was like, OK, I'll you know, I've never bought it before, so I'll I'll buy in this time and I'll, I'll buy some stuff. And it was coming from Finland and I, we ordered it, I think, like. Friday and then. By DHL, it was we were paying customs on Tuesday and it arrived Tuesday. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like from Finland. Yeah. <laughs> and it was already in my hands on Tuesday. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, I think photo yeah, in- so I I love DHL. Yeah, I, I do too. I've not had an issue because I've ordered stuff from Japan and they ship the camera lenses by DHL. You can even after you paying your dues, you can yeah. tell them. Where would you like it left by the front door, side door, back door? I just say put it by the back door so no one can see it. I even leave the gate open. So it's like, yeah, just go in, leave it by the back door. It's all good. 
my Texas Leica came from Japan by yeah. DHL and oh, was no. here in less than a week. Oh, I know. Yeah. Most refreshing. Mm-hmm. We can't even we can't even mail across Canada in the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John, we feel your pain. So it looks like we're coming to another end of this. This, I guess, first of hopefully many roundtables of what I call the alcohol-fueled incoherent ramblings of film photography podcasters. It's Bill Smith and the Classic Camera Bible. Staying, stay cool, shoot tons of film, and uh, yeah, have fun. This is James Lee from the CCR. Uh, it's a shitty world out there right now. Don't be a dick. Be this not is a dick. Jess Hobbs from CCR. I'm always the one to go after James, so I'll continue with that tradition. I don't have anything as funny to say as James does, so just grab your cameras, get out there, shoot, 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 and have lots of fun. I was going to wait for Gabe to say something, and then I would say exactly the same thing, and it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> This is Jeff Greenstein from I Dream of Cameras. Thank you for having us. This is Gabe Sachs, also from I Dream of Cameras. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, this is Andre from the Negative Positives Podcast and Cinestill. Uh, be kind to your analog photography products company, uh, customer service agents. All we want to do is help. And I'm Bill Manning and uh, shoot some film. Dang it. And this is John Meadows from CCR. Remember, if you turn a camera into a decorative lamp, I'll hunt you down. <laughs>